If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to DRIFT. Made possible by Envy Pillow. It's a Canadian-designed ergonomic pillow that cradles your face and aligns your spine and was created by Kathy and Kim, two registered nurses with your health and the planet in mind. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. This is a story from the Book of Dragons, written by British author Edith Nesbitt. It's called The Dragon Tamers, reimagined just for you and this sleep story. First, though, let's get you into a place of relaxation. Sink into this moment to just be. To thank yourself for doing something nice for you. Now, take a deep breath. And as you do, absorb the peace of this moment where it's just us and you are safe and loved. Now, exhale your cares. Let your thoughts be still and your body heavy in your bed. Your arms, your legs, your shoulders that carry so much through the day. Your neck, your jaw, your brow. Let your eyelids feel heavy. One more deep breath in. And out. And if you're ready, let's drift. There was once a castle, and it was so old that its walls and towers and turrets and gateways and arches had crumbled to ruins, until there were only two small rooms left. And it was here that John the blacksmith had set up his forge. He was too poor to live in a proper house, and no one survived to ask any rent. So there John blew his bellows and hammered his iron and did all the work which came his way, which wasn't much, because most of the trade went to the mayor of the town, who was a much more successful blacksmith. John struggled on as best he could. The two rooms were warm and weather-tight, but not very large. So the blacksmith would keep his old iron, his odds and ends, and his tuppence worth of coal in the great dungeon down under the castle. At one end of it was a broken flight of wide steps leading down, no one knew where. Even the lords of the castle in the good times had never known where those steps led. The blacksmith had never dared to go beyond the seventh step, so he had no idea what was at the bottom of those stairs either. John the blacksmith had a wife and a small baby. When his wife was not doing the housework, 
she used to nurse the baby and cry, remembering happier times. As for the baby, it cried a good deal, but especially at night when its mother had settled down to sleep so that she barely got any rest at all. This made her very tired, and during the day, she used to sit and cry, tired out with work and worry. One evening, the blacksmith was busy with his forge on the only order John had had that week, one horseshoe. And as he worked, his wife sat and nursed the baby, who, wonder of wonders, was not crying. Then, over the noise of the bellows and over the clank of the iron, there came another sound. The blacksmith and his wife looked at each other. I heard nothing, said he. Neither did I, said she. But the noise grew louder, and the two were so anxious not to hear it that he hammered away, and she began to sing as loudly as she could. But the more they tried not to hear the noise, the more they had to. It was like some great creature purring, purring, purring. And the reason they did not want to believe they really heard it was that it came from the great dungeon down below. It can't be, said the blacksmith, wiping his face. But just to be sure, John took his shovel in one hand and his riveting hammer in the other and hung the old stable lantern on his little finger. He went down the winding stairs to the dungeon. Well, half of it was empty as usual, except for the old irons and the firewood and coals. But the other side was not empty. It was quite full, and what it was full of was dragon. The blacksmith, trembling all over, tried to creep back up the winding stairs. But the dragon was too quick for him. It put out a great claw and caught him by the leg. And as it moved, it rattled like a great bunch of keys or the sheet iron they make thunder out of in the theater. No, you don't, said the dragon in a spluttering voice. Dear me, said poor John, trembling more than ever in the claw of the dragon. Here's a nice end for a respectable blacksmith. A blacksmith, said the dragon. Fancy now, you're the very man I wanted. I should like you to do a job for me. One of my wings has got some of the rivets out of it just above the joint. Could you fix that? I might, sir, said John politely, for you must always be polite to a possible customer, even if he be a dragon. John timidly went around when the dragon took his claw away, and sure enough, the dragon's wing was hanging loose, and several of the plates near the joint certainly wanted riveting. The dragon seemed to be made 
almost entirely of iron armor, a sort of tawny, red rust color it was, from damp, no doubt. And under it, he seemed to be covered with something furry. All the blacksmith welled up in John's heart, and he felt more at ease. You could certainly do with a ribbit or two, sir, said he. In fact, you want a good many. Well, get to work then, said the dragon. You mend my wing, and then I'll go out and eat up all the town. And if you make a really smart job of it, I'll eat you last. Look, said John, accidents happen. It's all fair and smooth, and please rivet me, and I'll eat you last. And then you give a gentleman a bit of a nip or a dig under his rivets, and then it's fire and smoke and no apologies. I know you wouldn't do it on purpose, sir, said John. If you just let me fasten you up? It would be so undignified, objected the dragon. We always fasten a horse up, said John, and he's the noble animal. Very well, but how do I know you'd untie me again when you're done? Give me something in pledge. What do you value most? Well, at this moment, the baby in the room above began to scream. Its mother had been so quiet that it thought she'd settled down for the night and, well, that it was time to begin. Whatever's that, said the dragon, starting so that every plate on his body rattled. It's only the baby, said John. Is that something you value? Well, yes, sir, I sure do said the blacksmith. Then bring it here, and I'll take care of it till you've done riveting me, and you shall tie me up. All right, sir, said John. But I ought to warn you, babies are poison to dragons, so don't you go putting it into your mouth. I shouldn't like to see any harm come to a nice-looking gentleman like you. The dragon purred at this compliment and said, all right, I'll be careful. Now go and fetch the thing, whatever it is. So John ran up the stairs as quickly as he could, for he knew that if the dragon got impatient, it could heave up the roof of the dungeon with one flex of its back and kill them all in the ruins. His wife was asleep in spite of the baby's cries, and John picked up the baby and took it down and put it between the dragon's front paws. You just purr to it, sir, he said, and it'll be as good as gold. So the dragon purred, and the baby stopped crying. Then John rummaged around and found some heavy chains and a great collar made strong enough to bear the weight of a thousand years, let alone a dragon. John fastened the dragon up with the collar and the chains, and when he had padlocked them all on safely, he said, I haven't enough rivets in the shop. If you'll excuse me, sir, I'll step around to another forge and get a few dozen. I won't be a minute. And off he went leaving the baby between the dragon's forepaws 
giggling with pleasure at the very large purr of it. John ran as hard as he could into the town and found the mayor and council. There's a dragon in my dungeon, he said. I've chained him up. Now come and help to get my baby away. But they all happened to have plans for that evening. So they praised John's cleverness and said they were quite content to leave the matter in his hands, saying, if anything happens, just know that your baby perished in a good cause. So John went home again and told his wife some of the tale. You've given the baby to the dragon, she cried. Hush now, he said. If you keep your head, the boy will be all right. So down went the blacksmith, and there was the dragon purring away with all his might to keep the baby quiet. Hurry up, can't you, he said. I can't keep this noise up all night. I'm very sorry, sir, said the blacksmith, but all the shops are shut. The job must wait till the morning. And don't forget, you've promised to take care of that baby. You'll find it wearying, I'm afraid. Good night, sir. The dragon had purred till he was quite out of breath. So now he stopped. And then the baby thought it was time to begin to scream. Oh, dear, said the dragon. This is awful. Then suddenly he saw a woman sitting on the steps. Here, I say, take this baby and let me get some sleep. Bring it back in the morning before the blacksmith comes. So the mother picked up the baby and took it upstairs and told her husband, and they went to bed happy, for they had caught the dragon and saved the baby. And next day, John went down and he got an iron gate with a grating attached to it and set it up at the foot of the steps. And the dragon mewed furiously for days and days, but when he found it was no good, he was quiet. So now, John went to the mayor again and said, I've got the dragon and I've saved the town. Noble preserver, cried the mayor. We will take up a donation for you and crown you in public with a laurel wreath. Well, in the end, the donations were spent on a party for council. So there was nothing for the blacksmith except the laurel wreath and the knowledge that it really was he who had saved the town. But do you know, after this, things went better for the blacksmith. To begin with, the baby did not cry so much as it had before. People gave John work in grateful recognition of his public-spirited conduct. Then tourists would come from afar and pay to see the dragon a bit more if a colorful fire was lit by which to view it, and the blacksmith's wife charged them for tea. Altogether, things grew brighter week by week. The baby, named John after his father and called Johnny, began to grow up. He was great friends with Tina, who lived nearby. She was a dear young girl with corkscrew curls and brown eyes. And she was tired of hearing the story of how Johnny, when he was a baby, had been minded by a real dragon. 
The two children used to go together to peep through the iron grating at the dragon, and sometimes they would hear him mew piteously. And they grew older and wiser. One day the mayor and council, out hunting in their gold gowns, came screaming back to the town gates with the news that a lame, humpy giant as big as a tin church was coming over the marshes toward the town. Said the mayor, I'd give a thousand pounds to anyone who could keep that giant out of the town. I can tell what he eats by his teeth. Johnny and Tina looked at each other and ran off as fast as their boots would carry them. They ran through the forge and down the dungeon steps and knocked at the iron door. Who's there? said the dragon. It's only us, replied the children. And the dragon was so worn down from having been alone for ten years that he said, Come in, dears. You won't hurt us or breathe fire at us or anything? asked Tina. And the dragon said, Not for all the world. So they went in and made small talk, and at last Johnny said, There's a giant in the town. He wants you. Does he? said the dragon, showing his teeth. If only I were out of this. So the children loosened the dragon from the chains and the collar, and he broke down one end of the dungeon, and off he went. He met the lame giant at the gate of the town, and the giant banged on the dragon with his club as if he were banging an iron foundry, and the dragon was all fire and smoke. It was a fearful sight, but at last the dragon won, and the giant sneaked away across the marshes. The dragon, who was very tired, went home to sleep, announcing his intention of eating the town in the morning. Then Tina and Johnny went to the mayor and said, The giant is settled. Please give us the thousand pounds reward. But the mayor said, No, no, it is not you who have settled the giant. It is the dragon. I suppose you have chained him up again. When he comes to claim the reward, he shall have it. He isn't chained up yet, said Johnny. Shall I send him to claim the reward? No, no, said the mayor, who now offered a thousand pounds to anyone who would get the dragon chained up again. I don't trust you, said Johnny. Look how you treated my father when he chained up the dragon. Now, the people who listened at the door interrupted and said that if Johnny could fasten up the dragon again, they would kick the mayor out and let Johnny be mayor in his place for they had been dissatisfied with the mayor for some time. So Johnny said, done, and off he went, hand in hand with Tina, and they called on all their little friends and said, will you help us to save the town? Yes, of course we will, they said. What fun! Well then, said Tina, bring your plates of bread and milk to the forge tomorrow at breakfast time and we shall throw you a banquet when it's over. All the children promised, and next morning, Tina and Johnny rolled their big washing tub down the winding stair. What's that noise? asked the dragon. 
Oh, it's only a big giant breathing, said Tina. He's gone by now. Then, when all the town children brought their bread and milk, Tina emptied it into the wash tub. And when it was full, Tina knocked at the iron door. And with the help of nine other children, they lifted the washing tub in and set it down by the dragon. Then all the other children went away, and Tina and Johnny sat down and cried. What's this? asked the dragon. And what's the matter? This is bread and milk, said Johnny. It's our breakfast, all of it. Well, said the dragon, I don't see what you want with breakfast. I'm going to eat everyone in the town as soon as I've rested. Dear Mr. Dragon, said Tina, I wish you wouldn't eat us. How would you like to be eaten yourself? Hmm, not at all, the dragon confessed. But nobody will eat me. I don't know, said Johnny. There's another giant, and he's nine times the size. He's bigger than the steeple, and the mayor has told him where you are. The mayor told him you were a wild dragon, but he didn't mind. He said he only ate wild dragons with bread sauce. Ugh, that's tiresome, said the dragon. And I suppose this sloppy stuff in the tub is the bread sauce? The children said it was. Of course. They added, bread sauce is only served with wild dragons. What a pity you're not a tame one. He'd never look at you then. Then they said, goodbye, poor dragon. Now you'll know what it's like to be eaten. And they began to cry again. Well, couldn't you pretend I was a timid, tame dragon that you kept for a pet? He'd never believe it, said Johnny. If you were our tame dragon, we should keep you tied up, you know. We shouldn't want to risk losing such a dear, pretty pet. Then the dragon begged them to fasten him up at once. And they did so with the same strong collar and chains he wore years ago. Then they went away and told the people what they had done. And Johnny was made mayor and had a glorious feast exactly as he said he would, with nothing but sweet things like Turkish delight, oranges, toffee, ice creams, and meringues. This was all very well for Johnny and Tina, but when the poor captive dragon thought how he had been tricked, he began to weep, and the large tears fell down over his rusty plates. Eventually, the poor creature dried his eyes and looked about him, and there he saw the tub of bread and milk. So he thought, well, if giants like this damp, white stuff, perhaps I should like it too. And he tasted a bit and liked it so much that he ate it all up. And the next time the tourists came, the dragon said shyly, excuse my troubling you but could you bring me a bit more bread and milk? So Johnny arranged that people should go around with carts every day to collect the children's bread and milk for the dragon. The children were fed at the town's expense on whatever they liked, and they said the poor dragon was very welcome to their bread and milk. 
When Johnny had been mayor ten years or so, he married Tina, and on their wedding morning, they went to see the dragon. He had grown quite tame, and his rusty plates had fallen off in places, and underneath, he was soft and furry to stroke. So now, they stroked him, and he said, I don't know how I could ever have liked eating anything but bread and milk. I am a tame dragon now, aren't I? And when they said that yes, he was, the dragon said, I am so tame. Won't you undo me? Now, some people would have been afraid to trust him, but Johnny and Tina were so happy on their wedding day that they could not believe any harm of anyone in the world. So they loosened the chains, and the dragon said, Excuse me a moment, there are one or two little things I should like to fetch. And he moved off to those mysterious steps and went down into the darkness. And as he moved, more and more of his rusty plates fell off. In a few minutes, they heard him clanking up the stairs. He brought something in his mouth. It was a bag of gold. It's no good to me. Perhaps you might find it useful. So they thanked him very warmly. More where that came from, said he, and fetched more and more and more, till they told him to stop. So now they were rich, and so were their fathers and mothers. Indeed, everyone was rich and there were no more poor people in the town. And as the dragon came out of the dungeon, following Johnny and Tina into the bright gold and blue of their wedding day, he blinked his eyes as a cat does in the sunshine, and he shook himself, and the last of his plates dropped off, and his wings with them. And he was just like a very, very extra-sized cat. And from that day, he grew furrier and furrier, and he was the beginning of all cats. Nothing of the dragon remained except the claws, which all cats have still, as you know. And I hope you see now how important it is to feed your cat with bread and milk. If you were to let it have nothing to eat but mice and birds, it might grow larger and fiercer, and scalier, and tailier, and get wings and turn into the beginning of dragons. And then there would be all the bother over again. There you have it. Perhaps there's a cat curled up on your bed with you right now. How lovely. Now drift off and sweet dreams.